What did Jesus do after the crucifixion and before the resurrection? Now that's a deep question. That kind of gets you to thinking a little bit. What did Jesus Christ do after he was crucified and before he came out of that grave? You say, well, he didn't do anything. He was dead. Well, on today's program, we're going to be thinking about that question. It's true that his body was dead, but his spirit wasn't dead. His soul wasn't dead. And the fact is, the Bible makes it very clear that even while the body of Jesus Christ lay in that grave for those three days, Jesus was very active. His spirit, his soul, he was doing things. He was going places. And that's what we're going to be thinking about today. My name's John Redmond. I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And I want to thank you for listening to today's program called Peace by Believing. That's our ministry. That's our radio ministry. And we are so grateful to be able to come to you today with a message that I hope will be not only informative, but I hope will be encouraging to you. I hope you brought your Bible tonight. If you did, would you just hold it up in the air? Now, I want to just see how many Bibles we have out there. Fantastic. If That's most, uh, most everybody. But if you didn't, it's okay. There's a Bible in front of you in the pew rack there. But tonight, for this sermon, you're going to need two things. Number one, you're going to need your Bible. And number two, you're going to need your brain. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you bring your brain to church tonight? Well, you're going to need both, your Bible and your brain, because tonight we're going to be thinking about what Jesus did after the crucifixion and before the resurrection. You say, well, Jesus didn't do anything between the crucifixion and the resurrection because Jesus was dead. They killed him on that cross, and he was dead in that grave until Easter Sunday morning. Well, I would say to you tonight that The only thing they killed on that cross was his body. They didn't kill his soul. They didn't kill his spirit. Even today when we go to a funeral, doesn't the minister say if the person was a Christian? Now listen, this person hasn't died. The only thing that has died is their body. But the person is still very much alive. Well, that's true of people, but it was also true of Jesus. His body died. His body was buried. His body was in that grave but from the time he was crucified until the time he came back out of that, he came out of that grave, Jesus Christ himself, his spirit, his soul, was very much alive. And so what I want us to do tonight, and I think this will be interesting, I hope it will, and I hope it will be helpful to all of us, I want us to think about what happened to Jesus' body and what happened to Jesus' spirit? What did he do during that time his body was in the grave? So if you'll open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 12. I want us to begin there, Matthew chapter number 12. Now, let me ask you a question. How many days was Jesus' body in the grave? Three days. In Matthew chapter 12, we read a prophecy that Jesus had made about his own death and about his own burial. And so we'll just begin there tonight. Matthew chapter 12, as we think about the body of Jesus. Look beginning in verse number 40. Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus said it Himself that His body would be in the grave three days and three nights. Now turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 19. Because we ask the question now, well, if his body was in the grave three days and three nights, we know he rose on Sunday. When was he crucified? When was Jesus killed? doesn't seem like that it would be possible for Jesus to have died on Friday, to have been risen on Sunday, and for us to say he was in the grave three days and three nights. Because if he was killed on Friday, he was in the grave Friday night and Saturday night. But he wasn't in the grave on Sunday night, so that would only be two nights. Well, let's look at this. John chapter 19 and verse 31. Now, in John chapter 19, Jesus is dying on the cross. And at this point of the story, when we get to verse 31, it is late in the day. Whatever day he was crucified on, it was getting late in the day. And there was not only Jesus who was dying, but he had a thief on each side. There were three men on three separate crosses being crucified that day. And as the day was coming to an end, we pick up in verse 31. It says, therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was the high, a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken down. And so... These Jewish people out there didn't want any of their body, of these three men's bodies to be on the cross on the Sabbath day because the Sabbath day was a holy day. They needed their bodies to come off the crosses. They needed for them to be dead on this day that they were being crucified. And so they said, could we break the legs of these thieves? And so they went to the first thief. They broke his legs. They went to the second thief. They broke his legs. What's the key of breaking the legs? Because if you're being crucified... Your feet were in such a position that you could use your feet and your legs to push yourself up so that you could breathe. But once your legs had been broken, you could no longer do that. And so the actual cause of death many times in a crucifixion was asphyxiation. You died because literally you could not breathe. And so the Jewish people said, hey, tomorrow is the Sabbath day. These men have got to come off the cross before we get to the seventh day. Now, when they got to Jesus, he had already died. They didn't break one of his legs. And that fulfilled another Old Testament prophecy that said not one of his bones would be broken. But the point I'm making here is if they had to get the men's bodies off of the cross, off of their crosses before the Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day was the next day, and the Sabbath day is Saturday, that means it's pretty clear that they were killed on what day? On Friday. Friday comes before Saturday. And they said, they've got to get all, we've got to get them off the cross before Saturday, before the Sabbath. Now look at chapter 20 in verse 1. The Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And here we read about the resurrection of Jesus. So it's clear from John chapter 19 and John chapter 20, because in John chapter 20, it says on the first day of the week, that's when the resurrection took place, that's Sunday, his body had to come off the, gra off the cross on the day before the Sabbath. That's clearly Friday. So Jesus died on Friday. He was risen on Sunday. How in the world does the Bible say? How did Jesus say? The Son of Man must be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. 
Looks like he missed it. Looks like maybe we've misinterpreted the Sabbath day passage in John 19. Looks like something had to be wrong. And did you know for this reason many people want to say and do say Jesus wasn't crucified on a Friday. He was crucified on a Thursday. And his body was in the tomb Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. And yet in John 19 it says they had to get the bodies off the ground before the next day because the next day was the Sabbath day. That seems clear it had to be a Friday. What's the answer to this conundrum? How do we resolve this mystery? Well, go back of all places to the book of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther chapter number 4. And what I, what I want us to see here is that the Jewish people in their way of speaking, in their reckoning of time, to the Jewish person, a part of a day was considered the whole day. And so a Jewish person might say, uh, or a Jewish person would say that if, a part, if you spent part of your day doing anything, they might say, well, you spent a day and a night going to the grocery store. You spent a day and a night going shopping. You spent a day and a night working on that dress. You spent a day and a night preparing that meal. Literally, you didn't spend a day and a night. You spent part of a day, and that's just how the Jews reckon time. Now, in Esther chapter 4, I'll show you a Jewish example of this in the Old Testament. And verse number 15, it says, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan or in Susa. The Jews were about to be killed here in Susa or in, in Persia, really. And Susa or Shushan was the capital. And Esther found out about it. She had become the queen. And she wanted to approach the king and alert him of the plot that had been devised by a wicked man to exterminate the Jews. And so here was what she did. She said in verse 16, Go gather all the Jews and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace. So Queen Esther had put this request out there, really, and that all the Jews would spend three days and three nights fasting and praying for the Jewish people. And she was saying, at the end of this time of fasting and prayer, I'm going before the king, and I'm going to tell him what's happened. And even though he's not summoned me, he's not called for me, I believe if we'll fast and pray for three days and three nights, that I will be granted favor by God when I, and by the king when I go to stand before him. But it's interesting, again, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says she went and stood before the king on the third day. You would expect it to say, on the fourth day. In other words, three days and three nights had been spent in prayer and fasting. And now after that's over with, it's the fourth day. And so on the fourth day, Esther goes and stands before the king. That's not what it says. It said she stood before the king on the third day. Why? Because in the Jewish reckoning of time, they use this phrase, three days and three nights, loosely. It's not to be taken uh, literally. Even John MacArthur, who is the most conservative of the conservative scholars out there, says you would not be right to put a wooden interpretation on the phrase three days and three nights because that's not how the Jews counted time. So Jesus' body was in that grave Friday night, part of Friday, 
all day Saturday and Sunday morning. He, his body was in the grave part of three days. And so the way the Jews would say that is three days and three nights. That's just how they talked back then. And so for that period of time, Jesus' body was in the grave. But what we're thinking about tonight, even more importantly than that, is, but where was Jesus? Where was his spirit? Where was his soul? What was Jesus doing while his body was in the grave? Well, first of all, I'll make it very clear tonight, and I I think this will uh, be very easy to understand. First of all, Jesus himself... While his body was in the grave, Jesus himself went up to heaven. Did you know that while Jesus' body was in the grave, Jesus went to heaven? Let me show that to you. Go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter number 23. Luke chapter 23. And here we read about Jesus when he was dying on the cross. And as I've already mentioned, there was a thief on each side of Jesus. There were criminals. They were being killed for their sins. Jesus was being punished for ours. But as time was going on and as all three of these men were dying, Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 42, one of these thieves, one of these robbers, these murderers, whatever his crime had been, he fell under conviction. And he began to realize that next to him was none other than the Son of God. And so it says that this man said to Jesus, Lord, this is verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now what day did Jesus say the man would be with him in paradise? Today. He didn't say Sunday afternoon you'll be with me in paradise, or 40 days after the resurrection, you'll be with me in paradise, or one day you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So that leads to this question, where's paradise? Well, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, because we have a clear answer to that question. We know where paradise is, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 2. The Apostle Paul is talking about an experience he had had in his own life where he had gone up to what he described as the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 2. Paul said, For I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Now Paul And if we read the whole 12th chapter tonight, it's very clear he's talking about an experience he had. And he says that he was taken up to the third heaven. You think, well, I always thought there was one heaven. Where is the third heaven? Verse 3, Paul said, And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. And so Paul uses the word paradise as a synonym for the third heaven. And so whatever the third heaven is or wherever the third heaven is, it's the same place as paradise. You say, well, John, can we be any more precise and clear than that? Well, yes, we can. Go to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, in chapter number 2 and verse number 7, because here we read again about paradise, and it becomes clear that paradise is a reference to heaven. Every time we read about paradise in the Bible, it is a clear reference to heaven. I've never even read anybody who questions that. 
Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, look beginning, well, let's just look at the whole verse. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear, or he, he who has an ear, rather, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, now watch this, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so Jesus said, the tree of life is located in a place called paradise. You say, yeah, but I'm still confused as to where paradise is. We'll go to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, because this makes it crystal clear where paradise is. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. John is writing, the Apostle John, and he says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river, watch this, was the tree of life. And so in chapter 2, we see the tree of life is in paradise. Chapter 22, we read that the tree of life is in heaven. Revelation chapter 22 is a clear description of heaven. Nobody questions that. So the tree of life is in paradise, but it's also in uh, heaven, so paradise is heaven. So when Paul said, I had this experience where I was taken up into the third heaven, I was taken up into paradise, this is the same place where Jesus said to that repentant thief, today you will be with me in paradise. You say, well, John, are there more heavens than three heavens? Is there a fourth heaven and a fifth heaven and a sixth heaven and a seventh heaven? No, there are only three heavens. You say, well, ex- what are, where are the first two heavens? Well, the first heaven is the atmospheric layer, the stratosphere. The first heaven, let's say it this way, is where the birds fly. The second heaven is higher up, and it's where the stars shine. The third heaven is higher up than that, and it's where God lives. Now, think about what I just said. The first heaven is where the birds fly. The second heaven is where the stars shine. And the third heaven is where God lives. Think about this. We see the first heaven by day, the second heaven by night, and the third heaven by faith. And while Jesus' body was in that grave, Jesus wasn't in that grave, only his body was there. Jesus went first to heaven. He was with that thief on the Friday of his execution. Jesus met that thief. He took that thief to heaven and he presented him presumably before the Father and said, Father, this is one of mine. Just a few moments ago, he gave his heart to me. He received my life into his life, and he was forgiven, and he was saved. And so, what did Jesus do between that Friday and that Sunday? First of all, he went up to heaven. Well, to me, that's one of the most interesting passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. To think that Jesus looked towards that repentant thief and said to him, today, you will be with me in paradise is an amazing thing. And to think about the fact that while Jesus' body was being put in that grave, while that thief's body was being buried somewhere, that Jesus took that thief's spirit, his soul, up to heaven to be with God forever and forever. And the story of the thief on the cross is absolutely amazing to me. Here was a man dying coming to the end of his life. He had sinned. He had committed sins worthy of death. 
And as he was hanging on his cross, in his heart of hearts, he knew that he was getting the just pay for his sins. He was paying for crimes that he had committed. But while he was dying on that cross, the Spirit of God began to convict him. And he began to reveal to this thief that while his death was for his own sins, that Jesus, who was dying on the cross next to him, had done absolutely nothing wrong, that he was not being punished for his sins, but that he was being punished for the sins of the whole world. And so as this man's life came to an end, he looked to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He was asking for forgiveness. He was asking for salvation. Now, as we think about this thief's salvation experience, we see, first of all, that he recognized his need. He knew that as he was dying, he was about to step out into eternity. He knew that he was not right with God. He knew that his sins needed to be forgiven. And so that's the first step for all of us when it comes to salvation. We can never be saved until we recognize that we need to be saved. We can never be forgiven of our sins until we confess the fact that we have sins, until we admit the fact that we are a sinner. And that's what this thief did. He recognized his need. And then he turned to Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the answer for his need. Jesus was the solution to his problem. Jesus was the only person who could forgive him of his sins. And then he simply, in his own words, he asked Jesus Christ to forgive him and to save him. And Jesus answered his prayer. Jesus forgave his sins. Jesus saved his soul. And Jesus assured that repentant thief that he would soon be in heaven with him. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done what that thief did? Has there ever been a time in your life when you recognize the fact that you are a sinner, that you have broken God's laws, you have done things you shouldn't have done, you've said things you should never have said, you've thought things that you never should have thought? Have you ever recognized the fact that you're a sinner? Have you ever turned to Jesus asking him to save you? You know, there are a lot of people who have recognized and who do recognize their own sinfulness, but instead of turning to Jesus for salvation, they set out to accomplish their own salvation. They say, you know what I need to do? I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to straighten my life up, and I need to get to doing the right thing. And so they try to live a life that would be acceptable to God. It's kind of like in their minds, they're going to offset all the wrong things they've done by doing a lot of right things. But did you know the Bible says that no flesh, no human being can be saved by doing good deeds, by the works of the flesh. No one shall be justified in God's sight. We're not saved by doing good works. We're not saved by living a righteous life. We're saved by throwing ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ, asking him to save us, to forgive us, and to come into our hearts and to make us a Christian. And I'm simply asking you today, have you ever done that? You say, John, I never have, or I'm not sure that I have, but it's too late for me. Friend, it's not too late for you. This thief got saved right before he died. It's a true deathbed conversion. Did you know in the Bible we have this deathbed conversion so that none of us would ever despair? But I believe we also have 
this deathbed conversion and only one deathbed conversion that I'm aware of in the Bible so that we would not be presumptuous, so that we would not just say, well, hey, when I come to the end of life, that's when I'm going to get right with God. You don't know when you're going to come to the end of your life, and neither do I. That's why the Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And if you have never recognized your sin and turned to Jesus Christ asking him to save you, I want to lead you to do today what that thief did on the cross, to call on Jesus. Would you just pray this prayer wherever you might be? You can get saved anywhere. If you'll just pray this, say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I am sorry. Please forgive me of everything I've done wrong. I ask you now, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. In your name I pray. Amen. And friend, if you prayed that prayer, God has heard you. God has answered you. God has saved you. Today has, come, has become the day of your salvation. And I would encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org and scroll down to the part that says spiritual growth. You'll find some booklets that will be helpful to you. Read some of those this week, and we'll be with you next time.